This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is screenwriter in film and TV, David Stokes. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Um, I'm excited to do this. It's um, it's a while since I've done a uh, a sort of film themed five. Um, I've done lots of uh, advice fives of late, but not films. So I've done I've done uh, downer endings in the past, and I've done best sci fi's. But you've you went for five great abrupt endings now before we get into specifics as to the five you've chosen we'll do them one at a time and we'll do them in reverse day order do you want to talk about just generally about i don't know from a writer's point of view maybe the technique of using an abrupt ending or even why they appeal to you i don't know what it is it's i love the fact that some movies have kind of that the director is so confident in the story that they can just, or maybe not even confident, but they just can kind of go, that's it. You get no more. You don't get a happy ending. You don't get this. You don't get that. It's just, this is it. This is the story. Mm. Um, I mean, a couple of my choices are absolute, like perfect examples of abrupt endings. I hope. Yeah. 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 But um, I've all, I've always loved them. Um, I mean, I grew up in like the eighties watching horror movies far too young and i think they had a massive effect not effect impact on me yeah um because so many of the films back then had these crazy abrupt endings because they were kind of like jump scares um some of them were jump scares um and yeah i've always loved them and to this day i still dream of putting an abrupt ending in something that i've written um it might be in the thing i'm writing now a horror, another horror movie that might work very well with an abrupt ending, but I would love to do one because I I think they're great. A past a past guest on here, uh, Jared Johnson, who made Tony and he made Hyena and he made Muscle. There are three films. <laughs> He's definitely a fan of the abrupt or maybe a bleak ending. You know where you feel like yeah. there's more to give, but the film's going no, no, I'm going to stop there. I recently rewatched um, his second film, Hyena. Mm. And that's really building to a boil. And then it just goes, do you know what? I don't need to tell you anymore. You know how this pans out. So I'm just going to leave you with yeah. the, the sort of antsy thought of did he or didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's I, I do love an ambiguous ending, um, ambiguous and abrupt. I mean, the, the, the last movie I wrote called Goodnight, which was a horror, that had a massively ambiguous ending. And weirdly, I thought it would be very divisive, like when everyone read it. 
Um, but everyone seems to love it. Everyone loves the fact that I don't give it a, it's this or it's this. It's just kind of like, I'm going to stop it there and you decide what happens a day after this. Um, because I, I find it more interesting. I don't like spoon feeding an audience. I like, you know, I, I don't want to insult their intelligence. I must admit, I've done it myself of late. And I think that, I think in a way, if your film has built up the dread to a point where you've got this kind of ding ling 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 moment and you don't need to sort of then explain yourself after the fact, it's there, it's there to think about. And that's, you know, all the best horrors that I've watched often leave me with that lingering thought or lingering doubt as to what maybe I have or haven't seen. And we'll get to that in one of your examples, certainly in one of your examples. Um, so, well, look, let's uh, let's get into it. So, uh, the rules of the game are simple. Um, you've you've given me five films with abrupt endings. We're going to run through them one at a time. We're going to spend five minutes, roughly speaking. When the bell goes, that's our time to stop. Um, it's not because there isn't more to say. It's because I just want to ensure that we get to spend an equal amount of time on each of the films. Also, it makes me a hell of a passive-aggressive host because I'm deferring. <laughs> I'm deferring to a bell, not my own, not my own discipline. <laughs> so, um, without further ado, we're going to get into the first one. I'm going to start the clock, and the first one is 1975's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Do you want to talk us through? Like the ending is obviously very related to how the film is wildly structured in the first place. Monty Python, so I kind of grew up around it, and it's just a brilliant ending. Because I mean, for years when I was much younger, I just figured they didn't know how to finish the ending. They just kind of, oh, they ran out of money or something, uh, and it just kind of like it's this medieval ridiculous jaunt, and then oh, the police arrive and they arrest everyone and throw them into vans. I must admit, David, when I was when you gave me your list, I was thinking, yeah, when I was a kid, it it really ruined it because I wasn't sophisticated enough in my mind. Yeah. To understand the yeah. absurdity of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I, as I later found out, it apparently it was Michael Palin's idea. Um, the original idea they had was 50% in the Middle Ages and 50% in modern day. Ah, right. But apparently they, they improvised so much um, that they pretty much abandoned their original idea. And then it was Palin's suggestion. They kind of went, look, we don't know where to end this, so why don't the police show up and arrest us all and they all went brilliant because it's just insanity and uh, it's the perfect Monty Python ending because it makes no sense whatsoever it's just brilliant well, they, but they do but they do wonderfully seed it though don't they because you have the kind of break 
like blazing saddles in the in the canteen. You do have this kind of break with the film, yeah. and the fourth wall is well that's and truly it. broken. Oh, that's another brilliant example. Yeah, blazing saddles. The end of the blazing saddles, where you know Dom DeLuise shows up and they're all doing the dance number. It's just incredible. But but in the in a way that you know Holy Grail's first sort of it stops, doesn't it? In in part way through, and it's like, oh, hold on a minute, what are you doing? And we've got the historian, yeah. and we have the historian, and art. So we're aware that this is possible. So it's not as absurd as it might first feel once you sort of begin to unpack how the film is structured. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a great way of, I mean, it's, it's a Python all the way through, you know, Python were always the kind of, you are not going to predict what happens next because we could do anything. Mm. We'll do absolutely anything if we think it's funny. And I think, you know, of all the movies, that's Holy Grail is probably the one where they kind of went, yeah, it's this ending. We've decided you can find it funny or not, but we think it's funny. And I love that. I love when comedians just do stuff because they think it's funny. They don't care if other people find it funny. And I love that. Because because in a way, because I think I think if I remember rightly, I saw Life of Brian before I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail, even though Life of Brian is the more the more modern film of the two, mm. um, which obviously has a straightforward story. And then equally, yeah. you've got Jabberwocky as well, which is a, which is a tad more off the wall. And I think that maybe mm. speaks to the fact that they're so willing to experiment with the form that it can... Absolutely, yeah. when it doesn't hit, it can... Because Jabberwock is a tougher watch and it's not as hit. It's more missed than hit, but it, it's interesting. But whereas Monty Python and the Holy Grail has got umpteen, what you would call sketches, really. But because it's a, but because it's a mission, each sketch is taking one further step along the path to finding the Holy Grail. You know, it's sort of... It's a really simple thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, they used to write them by just going, this is the subject. Now go away and write something funny on this subject as teams. And then they would come back and go, I've got a scene where this happens and I've got a scene where this happens. And they would just clump it all together and make a narrative out of it. Um, I think it was like John Cleese and Graham Chapman. They were a writing team. Eric Idle and I think Palin uh, were a writing team together. So, yeah, they would just all go away and come back with the funniest stuff and go, well, that could go there, this could go there, that could go there. And then, yeah, they just came up with a, a very silly ending because Monty Python were very silly and God bless them. And it's interesting re-watching it because it's, it's, it's absurd, but it's not funny, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it sort of it's turns the film funny. It, it turns the film into a very serious ending, even after, yeah. you know, Graham Chapman's been covered in a bucket of shit before before that moment happens. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's like, it's just, that's what it is. You know, you, it's one of those things, like some endings are so bad, they ruin the film. Mm. You know, you can, you can watch a film and then the ending's so bad, it's kind of like, that was rubbish. But Holy Grail is one of the few examples where it's like, yeah, that ending is really odd, but I'm still going to watch it another 50 times because I know it's going to make me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah, and I was I was grateful really that recently it landed back on it landed on Netflix, and I, I realised I hadn't watched it for so long, but it was like putting on a pair of old shoes. Yeah, it's such it's a, brilliant. Such a doesn't matter how old film. they get. Yeah, doesn't matter how old. Oh. oh hello, first one, first first alarm goes. Go. I think we all heard that, That's didn't it. we? I think so. <laughs> right then, jumping six years <laughs> into the future, um, mm-hmm. we've got the abrupt ending that goes with an American wealth in London. Do you want to talk us yes. through what that, what that abrupt ending is? Yeah. I mean, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen a 
41 year old film. But um, the ending is David Kessler, who's the the main character in it. He becomes a werewolf, and he goes. He turns into a werewolf in a porn cinema in Piccadilly Circus uh, at the end, and goes on a rampage um, of like werewolves do. And he ends up in a dead end alley, and the police are there, and there's machine guns, and he's completely cornered. And his girlfriend, who's the nurse, uh, who's a nurse, tries to reason with this monster. And for a second, you think he's listening to her, and then it launches itself at her. And the police shoot it dead. There's a shot of the nurse crying. There's a shot of David dead on the floor, full of bullet holes, and it cuts to black instantly. Mm. And then the song Blue Moon plays over it. David. They're going to kill you. David. Please. Please let me help you. I love you, David. Just like that's exactly what that ending should. Be. I, John Landis's choice to make that the ending, I think, is genius because it's like that's the story. He's dead. You don't need to worry about what she does after that or how they react to a werewolf in running around in London. It's like that was David's story. It started here. It ended there. Hmm. That's all you get. Fantastic endings. Probably my favorite of all of the endings on this list. I love American Werewolf in London. In what what make what makes it your favourite? What 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 makes the decision so right? Because obviously it's it, it, it the film is building momentum at that point, isn't it? It's like it's very yeah. much a Willie or won't you get caught? And obviously getting cornered feels like literally there's no way out, and it proves to be true. Yeah, it's I think it's just like if I look at the other ones, the others are great endings, mm. hence the reason why I've picked them. But there's something about American Wealth in London because all the way through, it's funny, then it's scary, then it's funny, then it's scary. There is nothing funny about the last five minutes of that movie. It's mm. horrific. People have run over, people have smashed out of buses and car crashes, and it's brutally violent. People are decapitated. And then the lead character is shot to death. And then you just see his dead body on the floor. It's so visceral. And it's like... You know, the whole way through, they're like, this is a horror comedy. This, you know, let's hold your hand and it's going to be horrible. It's going to be funny. And at the end, they just kind of go, that's the ending because this is never going to have a happy ending. He I, had to die. All werewolves die. I'd forgotten that the, the, um, the I love you moment, which is a, a grown woman telling a, a yeah. wolf beast where she yeah. can obviously see past the, 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 transfor- the, the, the transformation into the beast and tell him that she loves him, I guess with the hope of reaching him. But 
it's that idea of we start off with this, the film obviously has the natural cynicism that there is no such thing as werewolves and by the end of it we're, we're loading guns with silver bullets that's what I love about it is the fact that it's I mean the the creature's just incredible Rick Baker was a genius let alone talking about the transformation and all that mm. but that monster at the end of that alleyway and she's trying to talk to it and she says I love you and for a split second you see this snarl kind of drop very mm. slightly like it heard her and then it snarls again and just launches at her because so there was a there was a tiny piece of David Kester still listening but he, he wasn't strong enough to stop it and he just tried to kill it and so they shot it dead and I'm just like genius absolute genius I loved it and it's such a, and like you say it's such a great location for it to all take place because it's not it's not like in the in the boondock somewhere it's right in the middle of central london you know it's yes yeah. it's, it's iconic in every way where where it's taking place so the chaos a, a, a loose werewolf would cause is is palpable. I mean it's brilliant I mean the fact alone that they did that for real I I I think from watching the making of I think it was like 3 or 4 a.m. on a sunday morning Okay. Or something crazy. They had it for a few hours. They closed the whole thing down. I can't imagine they could even close Piccadilly Circus down now. No, no. I mean, you'd have to be a huge director to get, which Spielberg might be able to get away with it. But back then, it was just like, yeah, we need this. And I don't, was, I don't think like, anyone would want to. For, I don't think anyone would want to be bothered with the cost these days. Yeah, I know. mean, the closest thing, really, I suppose, actually. Now I've said that is twenty eight days later, yeah, where they yeah. actually did do that for real, which again is an astonishing visual. Of mm. London being empty. Although got, having ventured into London since the pandemic, most mornings seem to feel like 28 days It was later. like that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go again. Let's reset the clock and just jump a couple more years into what essentially is like, what feels like my heyday for, uh, for mm. VHS watching. And, and to be fair, actually, this is one that um, in my VHS watching days, I wasn't allowed to watch. When when <laughs> when I was twelve, in fact, I was eleven yeah. when this came out. Um, we'd we'd seen Cannibal Holocaust, which was a shock to the whole family, and <laughs> and bet, then yeah. once that shock had got over, Spit in Your Grave and Evil Dead were definitely off the table. My dad watched them, but mm. but I wasn't allowed. So, do you want to talk us through the? I am in fact talking about the abrupt ending that is Evil Dead from nineteen eighty three. Yeah, well, like you. Um, I saw Evil Dead It came out in 83 It was I think it was out For a little while Then it was immediately Banned Mm. By the BBFC I think I saw it My uncle Got it us On a VHS And I was probably Eight or nine And they were like Do you want to watch this And I was like Hell yeah I do And so We watched Evil Dead And I just thought It was I mean I love Evil Dead 2 more Because that's Funny But The Evil Dead Ends, there's no comedy in it at all. It's just complete horror all the way through. Mm. And, it, you know, Bruce Campbell is ash and he's just beaten from pillar to post the entire movie. And you think, oh, he's done it. He's got away with it. And then you see the the evil cam, force cam, whatever they call it. And it flies through the woods, over water, through the cabin. And he turns around and it just goes straight into his face. And he screams and it immediately cuts the black. And then it plays ragtime music, which is the best music ever to play over because it goes from horrific horror to kind of this upbeat, jingly, jangly music, which is just amazing. 
just a brilliant abrupt ending because I hate horror movies with happy endings um, as a rule and I love them when they don't and this is like this guy was beaten up so badly through the entire movie and then you think he's got away with it and he steps outside the cabin and then something gets him the thing that's been trying to get him for the whole film it gets him at the end uh, genius well Loved yeah it. yeah because it's it that, that last sort of five minutes 10 minute spell before before it finally comes to get him is is a is a severe beating as someone's going to get while off sort of two yeah. demonified prior friends of his so they're not you know he gouges out the eyes of one of them and yeah. he's he's getting beat, beaten with a fire fire poker a, a poker for a fire for the entire time he's trying to get the book of the dead before he throws it in the fire yeah. and then we get and we get that lovely Almost like ethereal music, which is the which is the coda for everything's okay, save the day, everything's fine, and then exactly, yeah, and then but the and audience pulls is, the rug, and then the audience is privy to no, the film's not ended. That wasn't that isn't the end. That isn't the end. He hasn't solved anything. Yep. And and again, a bit like weirdly, a bit like the Monty Python thing is that you as an audience visually have already had this sort of fed to you in the in the way that the evil has worked throughout, the way that the evil first arrived is, yeah. is obviously how it ends. Um, That's it. And it feels, I mean, in that sense, while it is abrupt, it's also very apt. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like you've been wrong footed. No. Unless of course you no. wanted Ash to live kind of thing in the, yeah. in, in that I mean, sort of sense of the hero, not seeing the end of the film. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Yeah, I mean, he's he's such an anti-hero. And, you know, that's why, I mean, Ash, is it Ash Williams? I think that's what they ended up calling him. Mm-hmm. Um you know, even now people are Bruce Campbell because of that one character, you know, because he's not a hero. He's, a, he's an everyman thrown into a situation and he tries his best and just gets the shit beat out of him. But he just, he's just like a Duracell bunny. He just never quits. He never, ever quits. And I love the fact that in the second one, which was basically a remake of the first one, they show you what happens after the first one ends, which is it picks him up and throws him through the trees and everything. So that kind of dilutes the ending of the first one a bit because they kind of play it for laughs a little bit, but it's just a brilliant ending to an astonishing horror film. Yeah, it's hard to imagine watching it with 2022 eyes, anybody mm. thinking to ban this film. But but we were talking about the it was the video nasty panic of the early 80s, and you, yeah. you're, you're right, a year later, we had the 1984 Video Recording Act, and... This was one of the thirty-nine films that got banned. I mean, it's quite, yeah, quite and when it got re-released, yeah, when it got re-released years later, it was cut for ribbons. Oh, there we go. No, go and finish your thought. What was that? Sorry. Yeah, no, like because it was banned. I mean, I know the things like there was a pencil in the ankle, and that was that is horrible. Mm. Um, but yeah, when it finally got released, I think it was in the nineties. It got released on VHS for the first time, and it was just cut to ribbons. It, the shock had gone from it because they just chiseled all of the edges off it. It was like Evil Dead light, and it was. But awful. then over time, I remember seeing the uncut version. I was going to say, I'm going to say over time. No, the uncut version is we're nearer to the uncut version than. I mean, I don't, oh yeah, it's, I, it's. I don't think it's completely pre-certified, but it's it's as good as. Yeah, I think the uncut version is out now. I mean, God, I think Evil Dead Two is even like a fifteen. On Blu-ray yeah, 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 now, yeah. it's yeah. not even an eighteen. You know that they are relaxing massively with I mean, violence I mean, and movies. The problematic now. thing with Evil Dead was obviously the uh, the rape by tree roots scene. I mean, everything else, yes. everything else was just buckets of blood and and silly effects. Whereas that was sexual violence, and that was the big thing that the the British censors were hot on. And it is super gnarly. Even now, it's kind of like, wow, that's a step too far. Yeah, and, we, and with but, the, um, and with, with 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 the use of that camera that they that, that, that is sort of very penetrative anyway, the way that it races through the trees and stuff, yeah. you kind of this is a force that can't be stopped, and obviously it proves to be the case yeah. in that instance. Um, moving on to choice number four, um, mm. this one is probably the most contentious one for me. Not not that it's not a, a, not a good or bad choice, but in terms of the four films, it's the one where the abrupt ending pissed me right off. If I'm honest with you, really? Yes. Yeah, so, do you want to talk us through the the abrupt ending of the Blair Witch Project from '99? When I'd heard of the Blair Witch Project, it had barely been mentioned anywhere, and people were saying that this was like the most amazing horror film. Mm. And then I, it hadn't even been released in England. I bought a DVD from America and had it shipped over because I had a region free 
DVD player. Okay. And I watched it with my best friend in the dark at like midnight. And when that film ended, we went cold, like goosebumps, and we froze. And I remember him going home that night and telling me, he was like, I was shitting myself walking home. That film like scared him to his core. And there's just something so good. So, I mean, the ending is, for those who haven't seen it, it's three film students trying to make a documentary in the middle of uh, the woods about a supposed witch and weird things go, things go horribly wrong. One of them goes missing and they track these people down to an old house in the woods. And you, you, you see everything from a camera's point of view, um, the person's point of view holding a camera. And then they walk into the basement and one of the people is standing in the corner of the room staring at the corner, which was foreshadowed at like minute 15 in the film, which you would have forgotten about at that point. And then something hits the woman holding the camera. The camera drops and it runs out of film, which now is a massive cliche because so many found footage movies now end with a camera dropping and the camera turning mm. off. But back then, other than like Cannibal Holocaust, maybe, and I can't even remember how that ended because I've only seen it once. Josh, Josh, is that you down there? Josh. When that happened and the camera drops, you just it's like a bucket of water to the face. For me, it was just kind of like, oh, no, my no. God, and and I, am, I, I envy how you got to watch it then because for me, I saw it when it was having its long run at the cinema. I'd not managed to see it and it was obviously being billed as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, anything with that level exactly. of expectation cannot be that good. And I couldn't, I just couldn't watch it with sort yeah. of open arms going, come on, scare the bejesus out of me. I'm like, I'm just watching it going, prove to me you're the best horror film ever made. Prove to me. Exactly, I mean, yeah. I've watched it since, and it is a work of genius. I mean, it's not yes. – I don't hold that view that it was pissed me right off. It's just that at the time I was in such the wrong frame of mind to watch it, whereas now watching it, it is just great because why wouldn't – why would it just – the point is the film runs out. That's the story. If, if it's found footage, then there's no one else to capture what happens next. So yeah. that's the terrifying yeah. thing. And because we don't get an answer – really as to the whatever the Blair Witch horror is. We know we know something supernatural is there. Yeah. And doing malevolent things, but it's not something we understand in this world. Yeah. I mean what I loved about the ending and and it's something that is not necessarily a 90s thing because no one had done it before, but they certainly don't do it now. When she screams and something hits her and the camera hits the floor. That camera lies on the floor for 13 seconds before it cuts off because I timed it. 
what, getting ready for this to go. How long is that shot at the end? Nice. And it's 13 seconds of silence and the floor. And then it just cuts to black with eerie music. And it's just kind of like, you know, they could have dropped it and cut it instantly. But the fact they let it go and go and go, it's like, yeah, that was brilliant. I mean, because like I watched it on a little computer monitor um, in the dark. And all I knew was that this movie had hit Sundance and people were going nuts about it. And, you know, I remember seeing much later on, there was a video of people coming out of the Sundance showing and they were completely traumatized because yeah. at the time they were saying it was a documentary and they thought they'd genuinely seen three people die, which is an amazing piece of marketing. Mm. They were completely traumatized by it. Absolutely. And so I knew it wasn't real, but my God, that ending is effective. If you, ha- if you know nothing about the film, you go into a cold. It's an amazing ending. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I hopefully people who've been attracted to listen to five abrupt five great abrupt endings aren't aren't worried about spoilers because that's what we're talking about. And it's interesting you say how much I'm it is. A, so. It's amazing how much you say it is a, it, indeed a cliche. And it, and, but it still wasn't a cliche by two thousand eight when Cloverfield did the same trick. Exactly, which is to end the film on the, on the camera being dropped as the person holding it is no longer yeah. with us. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting that even as, but but also that speaks to how much of a um, groundbreaking, groundbreaking film, the Blair Witch Project was, and and I think that you know it's no surprise that the people who made it really couldn't really ever live up to that expectation. You don't no. make the sort of nuclear bomb on the horror on the horror market and then yeah. make another one straight after. Um, it must have been, yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Um, it's a bit like um, not quite on the same level, but you know. Guns N' Roses were never going to make an album better than Appetite for Destruction, and boy, they tried, and boy, they never got anywhere near Exactly, yeah. Sex Pistols yeah. didn't I mean, do. even even Sam Raimi, to a certain extent, I still think Evil Dead is his best film. Maybe Evil Dead 2 in terms of how it's made, but, you know, he's still riding on that. He's the Evil Dead guy. Yeah, he did Spider-Man and everything. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I can't even remember what these guys did. I know they didn't. One of them did another film. But that's for another conversation. Now, um, absolutely, we're going to go for number five in the list now, which is another Sam Raimi film, and one of my per- yeah. this is one of my favourites of his. Um, I've watched this film a lot of times. I've broken it down. I love it to death. It's interesting mm. reading the screenplay for this film because it's the whole kind of fatty before she was slim element of the script is a lot more writ large in the screenplay than it is in the uh, yeah. in the film. It's just a kind of sidebar almost in the film um mm. i mean i'm talking about 2009's drag me to hell do you want to talk i mean because it is a it is a delicious to me it's a delicious ending as much as it's abrupt do you want to talk us yeah. through how it how it pans out and how it how it's been set up yeah it's it's a horror movie about a bank loan officer and she refuses to extend the mortgage for this elderly eastern european woman and uh as a result the woman the old woman rips the button off a coat puts a curse on it, and it doesn't matter what happens, this button keeps turning up, which means she's still cursed. Mm. Um, and then she decides to dig up the body of the old woman who's now dead, give the button to her in an envelope. Everything's good. You get happy ending. She's at the end of the film. The curse is lifted. She's with a boyfriend on a train at the train station. I can't remember where they were going. Um, well, more importantly, she's bought, she's bought a new coat because obviously she's got rid of the button, so she's got a new coat on. Yes. That's it. And so she's got a new coat. And then the boyfriend pulls out an envelope and he's like, oh, I found this. 
Um, I found this in the car. And she opens the envelope and it's the curse button. And she's in such shock that she kind of stumbles and falls back onto the tracks and there's a train coming. And then you think, you know, oh, they're just going to like drag her off the tracks or or the train's going to hit her. But no, the, the ground literally opens up um, to hell and all of these demonic arms spread up. And just while her boyfriend watches on, uh, they d- literally drag her to hell, which is what, the, the, you know, they literally give away the ending in the title. Do you like my new coat? I do. I really do. What happened to the old one, though? I threw it out. I never want to see it again. Oh, uh, no. Uh, that's too bad, because look what I found. I found this in a car. I thought, um... I thought maybe you could, uh... I thought maybe you could sew back on, back on. And I think you might have my standing liberty order. Because the envelope's kind of like the same. Chris, Chris, what's, what's wrong? Every time I watch it, it always feels satisfying to me that with the way that they they gave us. I mean, it's interesting. The film took, I think, eleven years to get off the ground as well. You know, which was you know basically really yes, yeah. Part of the part of making the 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 Spider Man films was the trade off he eventually would get to make Drag Me to Hell. I think you know, as far as I remember. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I mean, Sam Raimi is. You know, because he did the Spider-Man. And I love the fact that he went back to horror, just kind of go, I can still do this, and I'm still brilliant at it. Because it can, it kind of came out of nowhere and was a massive success, as but, I recall. But I don't know if you've noticed, there's, with, with, the, with the hell scene and the train station, there is a kind of nod to the origins of Drag Me to Hell, which is, you know, although it's not credited, I mean, it's very much M.R. James casting of the runes. And therefore, right. it is also a very big nod to Night of the Demon, um, which is the never seen it. Oh, Night of the da- Demon is very much is literally just a piece of paper with a with a rune on it, and in oh. and at the end the end of that film, I mean, you may have seen images from it. You've got a demon riding the train, and it's it was a very he looked towards he looks like the Chewit the Chewit monster from the eighties, but <laughs> right. so it was kind of. Um, it, it was kind of seen to spoil the film because it, it, to some people, and it's a very Marmite moment, but it's definitely a not, what do you call it, a callback to having having a mm. get dragged to hell at the train station uh, as a train's yeah. approaching is, is a callback to Night of the Demon, which is a huge influence, I feel, on on uh, Drag Me to Hell. Oh, right. I've never seen it. No, I didn't know that. Oh, well, it'll blow you. When but, you uh, see it, it'll blow your mind. You'll realise how much of, I mean, it's a very different story, but because it's about a cynic, being made, in, mm. made into a believer. But it's still the right. same thing of the idea of passing on the curse is to yeah. is basically to, you have the power to kill someone, which is not yeah, necessarily something we embrace. 
Well, I'll tell you what I loved about it. You know, it's it's a movie that comes out in 2009, but it's a film that could have come out in 1985. Hmm. You know, all the, the only difference is the effects are much better and there's more CG in it and da da da, da. But it feels very old school horror. It's very, it's very Sam Raimi, hmm. uh, just with a much bigger budget. You know, it's the kind of film he probably could have made for a hundred grand in 1984. It's that kind of thing. You know, it, obviously the set pieces wouldn't have been quite as big. No, no, but, no, no. It, yeah, it, the story itself is very, is very straightforward. It's, and there's lots of straightforward. It's incredibly things. straightforward. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's just a brilliantly well-made horror movie and it's scary and it makes you jump and the characters are crazy and it's yeah it's just it's like a stick of blackpool rock it's just got some rain all the way through fantastic but just just as a closing thought on that and also it's the whole kind of it was it's one of my is it coins or stamps i can't remember what it is he collects but he's he's putting stuff in envelopes that he collects which obviously gets mixed up with her button which is how we get the mistake um, I mean that whole sequence in the in the cemetery, where she's giving back the button as she believes, mm. is exhausting. It's, uh, it's yeah, wonderful. It's wonderful. fantastic. It's fantastic. Now, obviously, this is five great abrupt endings, but obviously there are a lot more than that. And you've got yes. a couple of honourable mentions. So I'll start the clock again for just to uh, yeah, just to just to cover a couple more that you you enjoyed. Um, 2010's Buried and 2012's The Devil Inside. Do you want to talk us through yeah. what, what, they, what their go. endings yeah. are? Uh, Buried is one of my favourite films. I mean, I'm a huge Ryan Reynolds fan anyway. Mm. Um, but when I saw Buried, it just blew my mind. You know, it's an entire film in a coffin mm. with just him and a phone. It's amazing. And he's, it's, I think it was uh, Iraq during the, the conflict and he's yeah, a truck yeah. driver. And he gets taken hostage and buried in the desert and held for ransom. And so the entire film, you see him on the phone to different people trying to find his way out, trying to get freed. And, you know, all the, you know, it gets set on fire, the snakes, there's bombs dropped. And you think he has to get out. And then they kind of go, we're on our way. We're going to, we're going to save you. And you kind of start like breathing a bit easier because it's such a tense movie. And then the, Coffin is filling with sand and you think, my God, he's running out of time. I've got to get there really quickly. And then it ends with the guy on the phone going, oh my God, we've gone to the wrong grave. Mm. This is the other person. This isn't you. And you literally just watch the box fill with sand and it cuts to black. And Ryan Reynolds, the man you've just spent 80 or 90 minutes with, he just suffocates to death. And that's his ending. I remember I I showed it to my girlfriend uh, last year because she'd never seen it. And she, it ended, and she's just like, "What? He can't. Is he dead? He can't be dead. Know, he can't yeah. be dead." And I was like, "He's dead. That's the ending." Because you like him so much as a character that you just you want him to get out of that box. And well, also you want you I'm want to see. So you, glad he didn't. You want to see him breathe air again. You do. You, you yeah. want You want that. You want that. You want to be paid back for having endured because it is exhausting. I mean, the snake yeah. scene in particular is. I mean. Talk about, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, what they say in screenwriting, put your character up a tree and throw rocks at them. Well, this one was like, yes. he got every rock of every, for, for such a confined space, they managed to make yeah. a lot. And I, I must admit, I, I did a breakdown of um, of Buried to look at how it works. Obviously, like you say, it is just one, mm. it's one person in a coffin and we never go above ground. But he has all these other dramas in his life, which obviously stem from the fact that he's in a box, but... Mm. And 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 the idea that he's 
he's a contractor, not a, not a, not a serving armed forces person, which is a bureaucratic yeah. problem. Not even he's not an, he's not an urgent matter. He's he signed a piece of paper exactly. that said we won't. And so suddenly you you you're almost forgetting that he's stuck in a box. You're like going, this is just ridiculous. Why don't they want to help him? And 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 all that. Why kind don't of they stuff. want to help? Yeah. So. Before we yeah. run out of time, tell me tell me about Devil Inside because that's one I don't know actually. So, um, what's, right. what, what's the ending um, there? I mean, I say I don't know, de- as in I haven't familiarised myself with it. I saw it a while. I saw it when it came out, but I don't remember what the yeah. ending is. Um, it's a it, basically it's a terrible example of an abrupt ending because um, I wanted to put one on that does not work at all, and it's just dreadful. Go on. It's another fan footage movie um, about possession, and it's actually quite an effective little horror movie. Um, but you get to the end and all the main characters are in the car driving. Uh, I can't remember whether they're driving away from something or they're driving to something. And then one of the characters in the car get possessed and grabs the wheel, intentionally crashes it. And so you assume that they're all dead. And then the film just cuts to black and it ends with a title card just going, if you want to find out more, visit this website at www.thedevilinside.com or whatever it was. And if you go onto YouTube, you can find audience reactions to The Devil Inside, to the ending, where it's just audio of people in the cinema. And the cinema just explodes with booze because it's such an awful, awful ending. It doesn't do anything. You know, it's not satisfying. It's not a good conclusion. Actually, now, now, you, now you're saying it. Then I don't think I, I haven't seen that. Then I must I mustn't have seen it because I don't. I'd remember yeah. that. That's that is quite a memorable ending. I mean, I guess. I yeah, mean, it, had the had it run out of road, the had the film run out of road, or was it just? You know, I don't. It's like it's it's it. It feels like they ran out of money. That's okay. what it felt like. You know what I mean? Like I, I went. I would love to see the script and see what the ending was. Maybe the ending was really effective on paper. Hmm. But it's it's diabolical. I mean, people have called it like the worst horror movie ever made, which I you know I don't agree with. The writers tried to defend it, and um, oh, the writers tried to defend it, but it's indefensible. But what the crazy thing is, that movie made a hundred million dollars off a one million dollar budget. Well, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it made so much money because um, I mean, amazingly, that ending didn't ruin it. Word of mouth didn't ruin it. Wow. Well, so because the trailer was really good. What do we know? Right. Let me just uh, recap yeah. then. So, five great abrupt endings for people to go and check out if they haven't or remind themselves if they've seen them before is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, American Werewolf in London, Evil Dead, Blair Witch Project, and Drag Me to Hell. And mm-hmm. it just gives me to say thank you very much, David, for giving us your thoughts on five great abrupt endings on the Britflix podcast. Uh, you're very welcome. I've really enjoyed talking about them. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover.